Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. Last Sunday, we spoke over our great salvation in preparation for this Sunday, putting our celebration and our attention upon all that we have because we're alive unto God in Christ. Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest Heed, say that, more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, And was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. So he says that the great salvation that was preached by the the Lord and then established by the Lord through his death, burial and resurrection also confirmed unto us with God bearing witness with signs and wonders and miracles that it's valuable for us to give attention to it, for us to pay more earnest heed so that we don't let things slip in our lives. And this great salvation is what we've been singing about today. It's what we've been celebrating as we received the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus in communion today. And that's what we are learning about as we are studying today. And, you know, with this being what we refer to as Easter or Resurrection Sunday, it is important for us to, uh, not just on this day, but especially on this day, give our focus to one of the aspects of our salvation that goes beyond what is in the human mind. Because when we hear resurrection from the dead, we think that's out there. That is out there. I mean, that that is not something that you've in your mind, you've become accustomed to thinking unless you're allowing the scripture to shine the light of the gospel. And so I want to encourage us all today because when we begin to read in Luke 24, go with me over to Luke 24, we find out that the disciples kind of thought it was out there too. The disciples, when they, when they even heard Jesus talking about it, they were like, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh, like he's, that's an allegory, right? You know, that's just a, a, a terminology he's using. That's just something he's talking about that, that is, you know, like an illustration. But they didn't have the full impact and understanding. And so let's read here in Luke 24 and find out how they responded. First, I want to look at the women who came to the tomb. You know, they had, when Jesus died on the cross and they had taken to prepare his body, when the Sabbath started, because of their custom, they couldn't finish the preparation of his body. And so they came back on this day after the the fulfillment of the Sabbath rest. They came back to finish dressing the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says here in verse 1 of Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in 
and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the shock? Can you imagine their despair? It came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. These weren't just men. These were angels. These angels, it says they were afraid and these women were afraid. They bound down their faces to the earth. They said unto them, these angels say unto the ladies, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Well, they're coming to finish the preparation of Jesus' dead body. And Jesus isn't there. And the angels are saying, why are you here? Why would you look for him here? He's alive. And they say, he is risen. And then they remind the ladies what Jesus said over and over again during those days preceding the cross, during those opportunities that Jesus had with them, they said, remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. That then they remembered, whoa, he did say that. All the time that Jesus had spoken those things prior, they heard it and it went in one ear and out the other. They didn't, it didn't land in them. So to the point that they were expecting him to be alive today, it didn't land in them to the point that they were, they were joyful through the Sabbath or resting on the Sabbath. They had spent the last three days in tears. They had spent the last three days mourning and sorrowful and despairing and sad and rehearsing the painful moments that they saw Jesus on the cross, that they saw him on the whipping post and the flesh being ripped out of his back and the humiliation after he had been beaten in his face by all of those soldiers slapping and punching and pulling the hair out of his beard until his face was so marred and his the crown they of thorns that they pushed into his forehead that had caused bleeding and swelling and and the the misery of him having to carry that cross down that road with his back beaten and they were rehearsing it all can you imagine them rehearsing it and every time do you remember when he stumbled and he fell and and they're crying and the angels are like we're celebrating y'all are crying but we're celebrating right all of heaven was celebrating why because god's plan had been fulfilled in christ and nobody had the understanding none of these disciples understood none of these women understood the full measure of what their lives were about to experience because Jesus had accomplished the will of God to become the sacrificial lamb, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Hebrews tells us the words that Jesus spoke before he entered into the body of Mary to become our Savior. It says, a body you have prepared me I come in the volume of the book to do your will. He said, I'm coming into this body to be a sacrifice, to be the one who is qualified to shed my blood. I'm coming into this body to be the one who can walk victoriously over every temptation he was tempted in every way like we are tempted and he overcame every temptation to sin and now you and I in him we can overcome every temptation to sin hallelujah they had no idea they had no clue they're here with their sadness. They're here with their despair. They are there with this, this horrible idea of what's happened to Jesus' body. And they say, don't you remember what Jesus said? 
And when they did remember what Jesus said, verse 9 says, these women, they turned away from their search for the dead body. They turned away from looking for Jesus among the dead. They returned from the sepulcher and told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, the other women that were with him, which told these things to the apostles. So these women come back and they come back with joy. And then the disciples hear all of their their declarations of Jesus being alive. And it says, verse 11, that their words seem to them as idle tales. Idle tales. The new uh, international version says nonsense. They thought they have been, they have been crying too long. They have just, it has gotten to them. They have just crossed over. It says it was nonsense. The Kennedy Weiss translation says it was the wild talk of those in delirium or hysteria. They just thought they were some hysterical women coming back saying they're seeing angels and and that Jesus' body isn't there. Well, Peter, he rose up and he ran to the sepulcher and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves. The body wasn't there, but the clothes, the, the wrappings that they had wrapped him in, they were there. He beheld them laid by themselves and he walked out of the tomb. It says he departed wondering in himself at that which had come to pass. And then we find the two disciples that were on their way to Emmaus that day, and they're walking on the road to a village called Emmaus. And it says they talked together of all these things that had happened. What do you think they were saying? They weren't saying what you and I are saying today. They weren't saying what we were singing about. They didn't understand the broken body. They didn't understand the shed blood. They didn't understand the fullness and the impact of what this meant. And they didn't understand that Jesus had raised from the dead. So what were they talking about? They were talking about how he had been taken by the, by the council, how he had been, how he had been uh, uh, put on the cross, how he had been uh, murdered in their estimation. They were, they were talking about everything that they understood from a physical standpoint, from their, their natural understanding. And they talked together, and it says they communed together and reasoned. And while they were doing this, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, and their eyes were holden of him that they should not know him. They didn't recognize him. They didn't didn't acknowledge that it was him. And he begins to talk to them, and he asks them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them said, whose name, now we're about to find out exactly some details of what they said. Cleopas answering said unto him, are you the only one in all of Jerusalem? Are you the only, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things? Can you imagine? I mean, he's like, he's a, a brusque with it. He's, he's abrupt with it. Are you the only one who doesn't know what just happened? Come on, man. And Jesus said, what things? You tell me what you think happened. And they said unto him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they've crucified him. But we trusted that it would have been him who would have redeemed Israel. And beside this, today is the third day. Since these things were done and the women came back hysterical and they think they've seen angels and the body's not there, right? And hear Jesus' response. Hear it in verse 25. O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So the angel says, don't you remember what Jesus said? And Jesus said, don't you remember what the prophets said? 
all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh to the village. They go in to to eat. He breaks bread with them. In verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. So Jesus wanted them to see it in the scripture because it's the scripture, it's the light of the word that we live by. It's the light of the word that helps us see the spiritual impact. All they could see was naturally what they thought Jesus was going to be for them. What they thought Jesus was going to do. They thought it was going to be a natural redeeming of Israel. Where he was going to overthrow the Roman government and pull the nation into a, a, a different government on the earth. They didn't realize it went a lot bigger, a lot further. It it went throughout humanity, all the way back to Adam and all the way forward to the end of time. Hallelujah. What Jesus did had a greater impact than just on that national level. His impact went universal and for eternity. Hallelujah. But Jesus comes to the disciples as they're gathered together after these two return to tell the other disciples, we've seen him. He is alive, verse 34. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking bread. And as they were speaking, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Why? Because they were still dealing from a natural perspective and they had still not prepared themselves with the expectation that Jesus would raise from the dead, that he would live again, and that his life would be an impact for their lives. So he says, why are you troubled And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And then he, he breaks bread with them. Verse 44, he says, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened their understanding that they might understand scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ, or it was beneficial for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance... And remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So he, he opened their understanding by bringing them back to the word. He opened their understanding to what he had done and the impact of what he had done and then gave them instruction to take what he had done and make it known. Hallelujah. So Jesus, he preached to them about his death and resurrection. And then we see Peter, he preached the resurrection of Jesus on the day of Pentecost. He says, I want you to go make this known. So in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, we see the sermon that Peter, the first sermon Peter preached after Jesus was resurrected on this day that the Holy Spirit had been poured out and all of these people had gathered together to see what was going on. And Peter is preaching and he preaches Jesus crucified, buried, and resurrected. Verse 24 of Acts 2 says, Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, 
because it was not possible that he should be held or, or holden of it, of death. God has loosed him from death. He has been raised up. He also makes that statement in verse 32. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. We've seen him. We've seen him raised from the dead. He is alive, and we're here to proclaim it, and we're here to declare it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It continued in Peter's message. You see in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, that, Jesus, that Peter also made reference to this in his preaching of the gospel. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. Unto, we've been brought to life again. We've been brought to life again. How? Unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you see the impact that it has in the preaching of the gospel? That our gospel isn't, our good news isn't just that Jesus cleansed us from sin. Hallelujah for the blood and for the cleansing of sin. But our gospel isn't just that he cleansed us from sin. But it isn't just that he bore the stripes on his back to heal our body. It goes even further. It's that he was raised from the dead so that we can be raised from the dead. Because we were all born in sin. Every person born after Adam, because of Adam's fall, death came upon all men. Because of Adam's fall, every person on the planet, born into this planet, must be born again. Because Adam, when he fell, he was the, he was the model. He was the... He, if you have a... a, a a Ford F-150, right? You have that, that model of that vehicle that goes in, and it's the prototype. That first one is the prototype, and then they build all the others after that prototype. They come off the assembly line with different colors, with different packages. They come off the assembly line. Some of them have the sports package. Some of them can get the, all the different kinds of bells and whistles on them. But the prototype is the same. Every person born after Adam was after Adam's prototype, Romans tells us. 1 Corinthians tells us. It says that all that because of Adam all men die but because of Jesus all men can live again. We can have our life. We've got to be born again. We've got to go back through and get made after the other prototype. Jesus, he came as a man so that there would be another prototype to choose from. So that there would be another model to be be made after. And all men who receive Jesus as Lord are born again. Born out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. Hallelujah. And now we look like him. We're built like him. We're, we're made alive unto God because of him. Hallelujah. So through his resurrection from the dead, we are begotten again or brought to life again. It was in the preaching of the gospel. The apostle Paul, he preaches in Acts chapter 17 and verse 3. Acts chapter 17, that's her hallelujah. Do you hear that hallelujah over there? Opening up and alleging, 17.3. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered. This is what Paul was preaching. This was what he was dealing with them out of the scriptures. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Hallelujah. He is risen. He is risen. That's, that's, what he was, that's what he was dealing with them about. That he is risen. Because that's the hope that we have. 
And that's what he was dealing with. And Pastor Ron alluded to it from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because in the Corinthian church, evidently they were dealing with rumors of people going around saying, oh, that's all make, made believe. That's all, just, that's all just allegory. He didn't really, there is no real resurrection from the dead. And even back then in the Corinthian church, they were having this brought to them to question their faith and to question what the basis of their new life was established upon. No, no, no. That's not what it means. It doesn't really mean that he rose from the dead. I mean, he wasn't really like dead. That's what they were trying to say. And, and notice how the early church leaders responded to that, that reasoning, that mindset. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And also we would be found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom if he did not raise up, if, it, if it's true what they're saying, that the dead don't really rise from the dead, if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised? And if Christ isn't raised, then your faith is in vain and everybody's still a sinner. Everybody's still stuck in that sin nature, spiritually dead, and they're on their own. We're all on our own. If what they're saying is true, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Those who have passed on, then they're just gone. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. But now, Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruit of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man, by the first man Adam came death, by man Jesus came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So this is not up for debate. Two major things in my life that I'm not coming off of is number one, Jesus was born of a virgin. There was no earthly man involved in Jesus' birth. Because Jesus is the seed of God. God spoke his word. His word went into the womb of Mary. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Because I believe in that element of truth. I believe in that foundational truth. I have faith in the blood. If it was a man who fathered Jesus, his blood wouldn't be capable of doing anything different than my blood would be able to do. But because it was God who fathered Jesus, the blood is clean and the blood is holy and the blood is qualified to wash my sin away. Hallelujah. And number two, I won't come off the truth and the understanding that God raised Jesus from the dead. Because my being alive unto God is founded in this truth that God raised Jesus from the dead. And not just a physical death. I know that when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung on the cross and became sin. And when he became sin, he was separated from God just like I was separated from God. Just like I was separated and you were separated from God, Jesus became separated from God when he became sin. And when that moment happened, he called out, 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even though he knew it was coming, even though he had prepared himself in the garden, even to the point of sweating drops of blood, even though he had come to that place to put his will under the will of God to become sin for us, and he knew it would cause him to be separated from God, it was such a shock. It was such a violation of of his entire existence because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God and the, the same Jesus who had always been existing with the Father suddenly found himself separated from the presence of God. And he called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then moments later, he gives up the ghost. He yields to death. Spiritually dead and left this world. Not because he ever sinned, but because we had. But because we were in bondage to sin. And he stayed in the place of punishment. The Bible says the scripture spoke of Jesus in the psalm. And Jesus quoted this. He will not suffer his holy one to see corruption. He will not leave my soul in hell. Jesus went to the place that you and I deserve to go. Not because he deserved it. He went to pay the price for us. He went to settle the account that was standing out against us. And he stayed in hell until the price was paid. And when the price was paid, the father raised him from the dead. Not just physical death, spiritual death. Jesus became The first man brought again from the dead. He's the first begotten from the dead. He wasn't the very first man ever raised from physical death. Lazarus was raised from physical death. People in the Old Testament raised from physical death. The Shunammite son raised from physical death. So he wasn't the first person raised again or born again. Notice it said born, not raised. He was born again. So he was born again. That raising begins with the new birth and it continues into the seating. It says the power raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father. The the resurrection power of God has a a fullness until we find ourselves at the right hand of the Father in our position as sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. Our faith in the resurrection power of God worked in Christ is because that's why we're alive unto God today. Because God raised Jesus out of that condition of spiritual death and physical death and gave him that new, that that resurrection life power still abides in him and works in us. Hallelujah. That's why Romans chapter 6 says that we are no longer debtors to live after the flesh. Look at Romans 6. And you can find your burial plot. We were singing today, I came out of that grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 6 says in verse 4. Wherefore, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. The correct grammatical inference is that. Likewise, in the same way that Christ was raised up, we are raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, and because of this, 
we can walk in the newness of life. Hallelujah. You know, I'm going to tell you what helped me in the beginning of my walk with God. I wasn't raised in church. I didn't know anything about God when I when I got saved. I was I had lived my life so after the flesh and so so tormented by my bad decisions, by the drugs, the alcohol, the addiction, the crime, years of prostitution, years of two children that I wasn't present in those first years of their life because I was somewhere putting a needle in my arm. And I come to the Lord only because I died of a drug overdose and found myself standing in front of hell with hands trying to pull me in. And I ran back to my body. And the person who was doing CPR suddenly found themselves with a kicking, clawing, screaming, hysterical woman because I was so afraid of what was trying to pull me into hell. I ran back to my body. And then when he let me up, I ran for two blocks down the street out of the, through the projects in Nashville, Tennessee, in the rain with blood dripping down my arm from the overdose. And that's why I went to church. I was, I, I, that was the first realization that hell was real. So I didn't go to church because I really, I, I went to church saying, I hope he'll have mercy on me. Because a few months before, I had said, I'm not going to church. The walls will fall in if I go in that building. I, I made all my excuses and I had my tough exterior. But I really, deep down, believed that God hated me. And that God didn't want to have anything to do with me. Why would I go to church? What, why, what hope would I have that he would help me after all I've done? And the life that I've lived and all the mistakes that I've made. And I came to church... I began looking for God. The first church I went to, they weren't quite sure what to do with me. <laughs> that, that day I died was a Sunday morning. And so Sunday evening I was in the church where my late husband had gone the day before he overdosed. Where my children attended with their grandmother. And they had a service, and when the altar call was given, I came up, and they prayed a quick little cute prayer for me, and I walked out into the parking lot thinking, what now? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to walk with God. I didn't know how to put the word to work in my life. Some of the people that had prayed with my, my late husband before he had died, they, they came and found me and took me to a revival that was going on. And by the time that they came and found me, it was a few weeks later, and I had gone to the thrift store, and I'd gotten a Bible for a quarter. I still have that Bible. It's a special Bible to me. And I'd went and got myself on a program called Methadone to try to get myself off the Dilaudid, because I was shooting Dilaudid and cocaine. And I wanted to get off the drugs, and so I went to try to get on methadone. And I was on a level of methadone that I totaled three cars and don't know where I left them. I, I totaled, I know... I say, I don't know where I left them. When I walked out of them, I didn't know it. I found out later one of them ended up in the front porch of somebody's house, and I walked away from it. The other two I wrecked and, and don't remember walking out of them because I fell asleep at the wheel. And I fell asleep in church that first night they took me. And the preacher's wife woke me up and, and afterwards was praying for me, took me in the little choir room that was off the side of the sanctuary, and, and they say I cussed her out. She's my mother-in-law today, so there's forgiveness. <laughs> it's a great way to get started, right, with this relationship. The next night, the people who had brought me to the church, they had took, took me to their house because I was homeless. I was living in my stolen car that I did not steal, but it was stolen. <laughs> and so they let me sleep on their couch, and they stayed up all night praying over me and took me back to church the next day, and I was asleep in the church again. And the preacher walked back 
Brother Buddy Steele. He walked back, and I was a, a few rows back on the end right here, and he just woke me up. He shook my, shook my shoulder and said, Girl, do you want help? And I stood up, not knowing how to act in church, not knowing anything about God, not knowing anything about the Scripture. I just stood up and said, I do want help. I went to the church to try to get help, and they kind of prayed with me and, and, and did not know how to, how to help me. I went to the store and got a Bible and went to try to get myself off drugs, and I was asleep trying to read the Bible, falling asleep reading the Bible, falling asleep in church. I wanted help. I just didn't know how to get help. And when I stood up and said, I do want help, he prayed for me. And the next thing I knew, I'm getting myself up off the floor. And I thought, that, that preacher knocked me down. I was offended until I realized I was sober. And I was in my right mind. It was like the first time. Let me back up and say this. When I stood outside of hell, I was more clear than I'd ever been. It was a very clear moment. When I came back to my body, it's like all the confusion came back. All of the, 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 the darkness. It was hard to see again. It was hard to think again. And, and I'll just say this as well. I've had two different surgeries and as a believer... When I came out of both of those surgeries, out of the, where they, they have you on that um, anesthesia, when I came out, it was those clear moments again. It was like my spirit was not befuddled with things that were going on in the earth, with the natural things. In that moment when I got up, it was, there was such a clarity because the power of God had met me in that moment. It was such a clarity in that moment, I realized I'm sober. I'm not just, I'm not high. Like, I can think straight. I can think clear. The power of God put me in my right mind, like legion. When the Bible talks about legion in Mark chapter 5, I recognize legion. I'm like, I lived legion's life in the tombs. Cutting myself. Cutting myself. Amen. With that addiction, with that, that drive to escape my life. But when the power of God came on me in that moment, it, it, responding to my hunger for help, I was clear. And I accepted Jesus for real. I had prayed the prayer before that put me on the right path. But that day, I committed. And that was the day that I flushed all the drugs that were in my possession. And it, was, it took a while. I had pills because I worked the doctors. I had pills that I had gotten prescriptions for. I had pot. I had the methadone. I had all these different drugs. And I flushed it all. Hallelujah. But I didn't, still didn't know anything about God. I still didn't even know how to live my life for God. And thankfully, the church that I was in, they were having services Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was like kind of like a revival with a Monday and Tuesday off, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. And so I was going to church a lot. I, I started coming. I bring my 25-cent Bible. I'm like, I need to learn something because I don't want to go to hell. Hell is real. I don't want to go there. Now, now the power of God has met me and freed me from what was holding me in bondage and trying to kill me, and now I had to learn. And one of the things that I learned because I was in the, the atmosphere of the word, the word was being preached to me and they were telling me, you are not what you did and who you were. You're alive unto God now and you've got to feed who you are. And these scriptures about, I'm not in bondage to sin. I'm not under obligation to sin. Romans chapter 6 became a real scripture to me. It became real life to me. It wasn't just something out of the book. I put it in my heart and in my mouth until it became alive unto me. 
I am crucified with Christ. That's real to me. That's not just a Bible verse. That's a lifeline. That's my GPS coordinates. I took that and said, I am crucified with Christ. When Jesus hung on the cross, he hung on the cross in my place. So I was on the cross with him. I made it personal. I received it. Remember what we said this morning, take, eat. Jesus said, take, eat, receive it. Receive this. I took that into my heart. I took it and it became life to me. And when the enemy would come, when there would be times I'm trying to reconstruct my life, trying to put my life back together, and I had to drive by places that I used to get high in or that I used to do do drug deals in or that I used to to commit crimes in. I I still lived in the same town. I still had to deal with those images and all of those things that reminded me. And I would go through and then I would say, God, I'm so sorry because I'm thinking thoughts I shouldn't be thinking. And my mouth is watering because of the, the thoughts that are coming into my mind making me remember And I'm like, God, I began to feel like I was sinning and I was doing something wrong because the temptation was coming against me. Like, God, forgive me. I didn't mean to even think that thought. I didn't realize at that time that the enemy was putting the thoughts and bringing up those trigger points to make me go back, to try to take me back into the life I'd lived before. So I had to pull up Galatians 2.20. That Michelle's dead. That Michelle's been on the cross. I'm crucified to that. I'm not that woman. I'm not that person. I'm not that addict. I'm not that. Because I am dead to that. Because Christ died. But I didn't leave myself dead. I didn't leave myself dead to it. I've been buried. And I've been resurrected. I've been buried. And I've been raised. I had to see the old Michelle dead. And the only way I could see it was through the scripture. Because I was still dealing with the feelings. I was still dealing with the thoughts. Still dealing with the ideas. I had to let that scripture dominate those feelings. And those impulses. I had to let the scripture change me from the inside out. You ever went through the school cafeteria and they had the sign, the poster that says, you are what you eat? Y'all remember that poster? Y'all ever had that poster at the school cafeteria, you are what you eat? Spiritually, you have to become the light. You You are children of light. How do you walk in the light? You let the light, you eat the light until you become, you are what you eat. Amen. You, you let this re-identify you. Most everybody in this room today has an identification, a driver's license. Most of us would have a driver's license. Right. You could pull your driver's license out and it's going to have characteristics that identify who you are. This is who I am. I have evidence of who I am. How did you get that driver's license? You had to have a birth certificate to get it, didn't you? Because you had to prove that you are that person. And you take that birth certificate. And what else you usually have to have? Social security card and maybe even proof of address. So that the information on that driver's license is backed by specific detailed documents that prove when you were born, where you live currently, amen, and you have to have some sort of identification to fly, to open a bank account, to get a loan, to buy a house. All of these, to buy a car, you've got to have, I mean, to the, all of these things to do business in this world. You have to have identification of who you are. 
And if you try to live a Christian life with your old identification, you're going to struggle and have a miserable time at it. Because you're trying to walk in who you are in Christ and walk in the victory that's yours, pulling out that old ID. Well, I, I'm this and I am that and I'm what I did and I'm the things they said about me and I'm all the mistakes that I made. That identification has to be cut up. You know, I, I had my driver's license and when I went to renew my driver's license, they took my card and cut it. I said, do you know how much I have, I have protected that document? I have kept that with me. I've made sure it didn't get lost, right? And now you're cutting it up. We need to cut up that old ID. And we need to let be issued a new identification. How do I do that? You identify yourself as this new person raised. Let me go to Ephesians 1 and we're going to close here. I think it's, I think it's, the plan of God that this was written to us in Ephesians 1 in the form of a prayer. Because that means you can pray it for yourself and you can pray it for your family. And in that praying of it, you see how to ask for these things in our life. Ephesians 1, let's look at 17. This is the prayer that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So God, we're praying that God would in your spirit give you wisdom and understanding and that wisdom and understanding is going to cause the lights When the lights are on in the room, we can see more clearly than when they're turned off in them. That eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Why? Because we need spiritual light to see the following things that he's going to identify. We've got to have the light of the word to be able to see these things that are ours. Number one, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Number two... That you may know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You won't know those things without the help of the word. You can't know them because you feel them. You can't know them because you can see them or touch them. The only way you can know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory in the inheritance of the saints is for for you to know it in your spirit by the light of the word. Verse 19, and that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. This is resident, this is present day power. Present day available. It is what is this greatness power, the greatness of his power is what it is, not was. Not was, but is. He wants you to know what this power is that's working in us who believe. It is the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ. That's the power that's in us now, is, present tense, in us now. The power that he worked or wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That power's in us now. What can hold me in bondage when I know that? Can pornography hold a person in bondage when they know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in them? Can any addiction or alcoholism hold somebody in bondage when they know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in them? It works in them. It's present tense working in them. No depression, no sickness, there's nothing. When you know that power is available in you today, but if you don't know it, the enemy can deceive 
and pile on all kinds of failures and defeats and, and deceive that person into thinking there's nothing you can do. You know, it's just a hard old way. But if they know, if we know that the power is available, the same power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Pastor made mention of this Wednesday night, but I'm going to preach his message just for this part. Because I think it's one of the greatest things he's ever taught me. (laughs) Ephesians 1, in this verse, there are four different words that are defined power in the Greek. They're not all defined power in in the English, but I want to take you to them. Verse 19, circle the word greatness, the, the word power in the phrase greatness of his power. That's the first one I want to look at. And it's the word dunamis. The word dunamis means inherent power or power that's stored in something. If you look at a battery, you think there's power stored in the battery. It's inherent power. It's, it's power that's already in something. Then the word working in verse 19 is also a word, it looks like energy, energia, and it's also a word that's divine, defined power. It would be outward power or a demonstration of power. So this word working is actually working power. So to, 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 to contrast between the two, if you see a man walk into the gym and he is built, And he's got these big biceps. And you think, wow, he's got dunamis power. You can look at him and you can see the power stored in those biceps, right? But then he throws the weights on that bar and he gets down on the bench and he begins to bench press. And now you have the working. You have the energia. You have the display of the power that's inherent in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then in this same verse, the word mighty is a word that means endowed power. Mighty, endowed power, power that's delegated power, power that has been endowed or been been placed upon someone. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. This, This power that was delegated, mighty power, and then again, The word power is listed in this verse at the very end of the verse, but it's a different word in the Greek, and it's the word kratos, which means ruling power or dominating power. It's the power to govern. So four different words to describe the power, four different power words in one verse to describe what God used when he raised Jesus from the dead. That he wants us to know. He wants us to know what is this exceeding greatness of his dunamis. His stored inherent power towards us who believe according to the display or the demonstration or the outflow and the outworking of his endowed, dominating, ruling power. He wants us to know it. We're going to have to have the help of his light to be able to see it. But if we'll see it, we can walk in it. If we'll see it, we can work with it. If we'll see it, we can live from that power supply. Hallelujah. There was a day when all of God's inherent power and all of God's outward power And all of God's ruling power and all of his endowed power were released in one moment. All of them converging on one assignment, on one specific job. And that was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen. Amen. Psalm chapter 8 says it this way. Psalm chapter 8 calls the work of creation. We think about how God created the heavens and the earth and all the stars and the moon and and all of the orbits in the universe. It says that was the work of his fingers. Just the work of his fingers. That's all the power God had to, to exhibit or had to put to work to create the universe. Just the work of his fingers. 
But then the Bible talks about when God delivered the Israelites out of bondage. And it says that he made, it says that it was the strength of his hand. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 14. With the strength of his hand. Creation with the strength of his fingers. The delivering of his people out of Egypt with the strength of his hand. But then when it says he accomplished the work of salvation, he rolled up his sleeves and made bare his arm. Isaiah 52.10. Hallelujah. That's the power at work in us. That's the power at work in us. Not the the power of his fingers, not the strength of his hand, but the full use of his arm. That's the power that helps you overcome. That's the power that helps you walk in victory. That's the power that helps you resist sickness and disease and poverty and lack. That's the power that's working in your family to bring them out of darkness and into the light. That's the power at work in your prayers when you call on the name of Jesus. That's the power that's at work in your mouth when you speak the word of God out of your mouth. Hallelujah. It's the power that works in us. Hallelujah. But notice what, it el- what else it says in verse 20. This is the power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's where it started. When God rolled up his sleeves and made bare his arm of salvation and put all of the forces of his available power at work in raising Christ from the dead. It started when it raised him from the dead, but it did not complete its working until it had him seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of dominion, in the place of authority, seated above all principalities and powers and dominions and everything that is named not only in this world but in that which is to come the power works until it places you it raises you out of the place of spiritual darkness out of the place where sin once held you in bondage it raised you to new life it put the life of God in you but it's working until it continually has you recognizing that I am at the right hand of the Father seated together with Christ I've been raised up with him I'm not under the circumstance I'm not a victim to my situation I am more than a conqueror I'm an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testament thanks be unto God who always causes me to triumph when you begin to see yourself seated together with Christ, then the power of his resurrection that is at work in you is having its fulfillment in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you, Romans 8, 11. We've got to know it. This is our prayer that you would know it. That you would know it because the only thing, if you begin to know it, you could, you'll walk in it. You'll live in it. You, it'll be on your ID card. You'll pull out your ID card and the address says, seated together with Christ. You see, I already took my address. I got my change of address on my, it, it, it used to have an old address and a whole lot of different details. But my details are changed. Amen. My address is changed. Where do you live? Where do you live? Where do you operate from? I found myself praying for one of my children. She was making some really dangerous decisions with her life. And I was praying with all my my motherly instinct. And I was praying with all of my tears and my emotions and my position as her mother. And I was saying, Lord... Lord, that's my baby. You got to help. You gotta, and I'm praying from a mother. And I realized with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not seeing anything change. This isn't helping me. And I went to the Lord and saying, Lord, why? And he says, take your place in Christ because all of your equipment's in him. Amen. You're trying to pray from your position as a mother and you're limited in your, your weapons there. You're limited in your equipment there. Take your place in Christ because in him, that's where you have all the victory. So I changed my position. And you've got to make that change of position so that it's 
on your, you identify yourself at the right hand. So that it's so ingrained in you where you are that you never feel like the victim. You never succumb to a victim mentality. How can I be a victim when I live where I live? I live at the right hand of the Father. How can I be a victim when I live at the right hand of the Father? But it's not here. It's here. We're talking about knowing, not knowing. We're talking about knowing with the Spirit. Not, not just mental information. Not just where to find it in, in, in the mind. But when we know it here, it's faith. And we know that he hears us. Amen. Things that we know. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can know it. And I'm living proof when you begin to know it. It takes all the limits off your life. It takes all the limits off your life. Things that God is doing in my life. The things he is doing. He couldn't do if I still identified. With the Michelle before Christ. B.C. The B.C. me. If I still had the old address on my identification and the old details of who I am on my identification, I couldn't do what I'm doing and be what I'm being. But because I'm in him and he's in me, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Hallelujah. Father, I ask you to let the words that have been uttered in this place today ring in the hearts of your people until that knowing comes to a fullness and these who have received are walking in.